The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For a brief time in my life, I lived in a town called Destin, Florida, a small town on the Florida panhandle known as the world's luckiest fishing village. In Destin, fishing was and is a way of life. It's surrounded by water with the emerald green waters of the Gulf of Mexico to the south, the intercoastal waterway to the north and right in the middle, Destin Harbor. There, a huge fishing fleet, mostly charter boats, went in and out of the harbor to the Gulf day after day after day. They'd go out early and come back, bringing their catch. They'd pull into the docks and clean all the fish right there as they got off the boat and deliver it up to the restaurants just yards away. It was the beating heart of that sleepy little piece, piece, of paradise. Each year, Destin holds a fishing rodeo tournament, and on Ascension Day, they hold an annual blessing of the fleet. And so the entire fishing fleet lines up one after one in Destin Harbor, and then slowly motors by one of the docks where all the local clergy are vested and bless each boat and each captain, each crew by name as they make their way from the harbor to the Gulf. One of the churches I attended there was uh, St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, named for one of the fishermen disciples that Jesus calls this morning. Their logo was a cross and fishing net and fishing hook. Now, if you've ever lived in a fishing town like I did, you know that fishing towns have a unique character. They respect the sea. They honor the fishermen. It's hard and noble work. It's a lot of fun and a little rough around the edges, but mostly in a good way. They are salty, big-hearted communities. 
Later on, I'd live near Gloucester, Massachusetts, one of the great commercial fishing towns in the world. And as you drive into Gloucester, you see the statue of the fisherman at the wheel, the names of those lost at sea engraved on the memorial. And you realize that fishing is not just a job, but an entire way of life, not just for the fishermen and their families, but for the entire town. It's completely woven into the fabric of everything and everyone. And in our gospel today, we encounter Jesus staying in Capernaum, a town along the Sea of Galilee, a fishing town. And one day he walks along the shore and he comes across four fishermen, Simon and Andrew, James and John. He says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And immediately, Matthew says, they left their nets, their boats, and in the case of James and John, their father Zebedee behind to follow Jesus. And I'm always so amazed when this text comes up, how they would immediately follow him. I mean, maybe they were tired of fishing and they were relieved to be asked to do something else. Maybe Jesus was just so magnetic, God's call so strong that they just couldn't resist it. But this fishing was still their livelihood. It was their way of life, their family's source of security, their community, their identity. But there seems to be none of that calculus happening in their decision here. Jesus calls, and they drop their nets, and they go. Usually my big question with this text is why they would leave everything and follow Jesus. But this week, another question about the text has emerged for me, and it's this. What in the world did Jesus see in these four men? What did he see in them? I mean, if you were choosing a group of people to help you on a mission to change the world, a new venture, a startup, if you were taking on a huge new challenge, who would you pick to help you? Who would you recruit to be in your cabinet or your board of directors, your staff or your team? Probably wouldn't be a ragtag bunch of fishermen, right? But I think Jesus sees in them what most people didn't see and maybe what they themselves couldn't see. First, I think Jesus saw their skills and their talents, and they didn't leave their work behind so much as they repurposed all that knowledge and skill and talent they had for God's service. Like the fisherman in Destin that I had a chance to know, uh, like the one guy I remember who we just called Billy Boats, Um, they were wildly eccentric people (laughs) and saw the world from a different point of view. They could read the sky and the wind, they could ride the waves whether they were rough or smooth recognize life's rhythms and patterns, and perhaps most of all, they were persistent and patient, patient, all of which they would need as disciples. But these fishermen were not seen as noble to the rest of society then. They, like the shepherds who came to see Jesus when he was born, were considered to be among the lowliest people on the social ladder. But that's who Jesus sought out and who he surrounded himself with. His inner circle was comprised of fishermen and tax collectors and women. He spent time with the sick and the stranger and children, the forgotten and the ignored. These fishermen would learn from Jesus. They would preach and heal in his name. They'd fail him and then rally again, get it wrong and be forgiven and then get it right. Some of them would argue about who was the greatest among them, only to be reminded that, duh, it's God. They would lead the early church, and some would, in the end, give their lives for the sake of the gospel. When it comes to discipleship, I think we often feel unqualified, 
unworthy and uncertain. Even people that are highly successful in some areas of life can feel totally inadequate when it comes to thinking about discipleship or following Jesus. But Jesus has chosen us too, just like those fishermen on the beach. We aren't all meant to walk, meant to walk away from our jobs like those fishermen or take ministry on as a full-time call, but we are meant to use our gifts and abilities to serve God and neighbor. And Jesus has chosen each of you, each of you, God has called. And we may ask, what, but what in the world does Jesus see in me? What in the world does Jesus see in us? And it's a great question to ponder. What does Jesus see in us that he loves us so much and pursues us and calls us with reckless abandon and gives his life for us to save us? You know, oftentimes in our lives, it's other people that see the good things in us and reflect them back to us so that we can begin to see them in ourselves. And I think that's part of what Jesus does for the fishermen. He calls it forth in them, and he does the same for us, sees the good in us, and calls it forth. What does Jesus see in you? At another little church I used to attend in Destin, the preacher was fond of saying, and I can still hear it in his own voice, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus still would have died for you. If you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have still died for you. And it was sort of his way of saying that we were and you are of infinite value to God. You are special and precious and unique and fully and totally loved by the God who created you. What God sees in us, what God is drawn to in us, is not some kind of perfection, not a smoothed-over finished product, nor some kind of great wisdom or enlightenment. Rather, God sees what He made in us, His handiwork. He sees in us possibility and promise and hope. He saw in this fisherman, Simon, a future great leader of the early church. He saw in Paul, then a militant persecutor of Christians, a man who would become the church's greatest evangelist. He sees things that are hidden to others and maybe even hidden to ourselves. When Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't concerned that these followers might not turn out to be model disciples. They were often dense and hard-headed and on the rare occasions when they understood what he was saying, they often disagreed with him. They squabbled. One betrayed him. Another denied him. No one stuck around at the cross when the going got tough. And still... Jesus believed in them. He trusted them with his people and his mission and his church. Jesus said, follow me in a way that pointed so clearly to God that two and then four and then 12 and then so many more decided that whatever Jesus had to offer was worth leaving their old lives for. As far as Jesus was concerned, their willingness to get up and say yes and follow were credentials enough. He would make his community out of this diverse and dirty dozen. However we get started in our lives, in our life of faith, 
and our sense of calling and purpose in this world, wherever we begin, God always has so much more in store for us than we can imagine, leads us into places that we can only dream if we are, as Reverend Starr said last Sunday, if we are available to God. And it just takes a simple yes, or maybe even an okay, let's see about this, (laughs) or a okay, I'll try it out. It just takes that smallest of openings for God to help us see what God sees in us and the purpose to which we are called. And God even works through churches with people that disagree about things. Is there any other kind? (laughs) In our first reading, we hear from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth in Greece. And the Corinthian church was notorious for being difficult and contentious, so much so that Paul had to write two long letters to them about getting their act together. There was jockeying of rival groups for control. There was bickering and jealousy and petty strife that threatened to divide their church. And today, Paul, at the beginning of his letter, is responding to a report from a woman named Chloe that there was quarreling and that each of the different people in the church were pledging allegiance to a different preacher or evangelist, Paul or Apollos or Cephas. The problem, Paul writes, was that they were putting their loyalties to human leaders above the unity that they shared in Jesus. Paul urges them, let there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. He urges them to find unity in their creed, their common baptism, and the great commandment to love God and love neighbor, to walk humbly in the way of Jesus, be centered at the foot of the cross, which Paul says is foolishness to the world, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The good news in both these readings, I think, is that Jesus calls people just as human and diverse and imperfect as we are to become disciples, and that for all of our differences, we are joined in Christ, and we are reconciled to God and to one another every time we share in this meal at the table or return again to the waters of baptism. Today, we are reminded that we are infinitely precious to God. We are chosen for a purpose, our gifts to share, even when it feels like we don't have anything to offer, when we can't quite see what God is up to in us. Our mission, like those first four disciples, is to journey together as we seek out to live the greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all that we have, our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength, and to love our neighbors just as ourselves. When God extends this call once again to us this morning and tomorrow and the next day, may our response always be yes. May we follow Jesus with passion and integrity and love and hope. Amen.